Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Scootybarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Scootybarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. Have you ever been lost? I mean, not like lost in Walmart, that's not what I'm talking about. Like lost, lost, like, like out in the woods, somewhere where everything looks familiar and nothing looks familiar, right? Because it all looks the same. You know what people do when they find themselves to be lost or when they think they're lost? They, they do what they shouldn't do. They do the exact wrong thing. When people feel like they're lost, what they do is they began to be panicked. They began to rush. In fact, what most people who are lost do is their breathing increases, their thinking gets cloudy, and they just start walking. And then they start walking with a purpose, with an attitude. And then they'll even start running. And you know what that does? That makes you even more lost than you actually were. When you're lost... You know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to stop. In fact, experts will tell you when you find yourself lost, you're supposed to sit down on a log under a tree, take a nap, eat a sandwich, drink some water, and give it about 30 minutes. Why? Because after about 30 minutes, your, your uh, uh, adrenaline has calmed down a little bit. It, it gives you the ability to start clink, thinking clearly. It gives you the ability... To start to reason and to rationalize what's actually going on here. You know, I remember being lost a bunch of times, actually. I'm a hunter, and if you, if you hunt in any uh, real capacity at all, then you will find yourselves at some point or another, probably many times, lost. For me, the, this moment was when I was in Louisiana. I was in seminary, and I had just gone to a new church, and the, the, uh, one of the members of the church said, man, I got some land that if you want to hunt it, you're welcome to it. So he took me out, and he walked to the edge of the property and showed it to me, and he said, come out anytime." And so within the next week, I drove out there after, after school, and I parked my truck, and I started walking. And in my mind, I knew exactly where I was, because in my mind, I said, look, last week, I walked this place, so how hard can it be? Well, that was my first experience in the Louisiana swamp. If you've ever been in the Louisiana swamp, you know that there's a reason that they do shows about the Louisiana swamp, right? You can walk in the swamp and never come out of it. And I had gone in the afternoon because I figured everything would be fine. But as I walked, I looked and I realized I don't have any idea where I am. I normally don't get real excited about stuff like that because I'm usually a pretty good navigator in the woods. And so I just kept walking. But then I walked some more. And then I walked some more. And I walked for a few hours. And it got to the point where I knew I had no water. I had no food. I had no extra clothes. The mosquitoes were dive bombing me like kamikaze pilots. They had their beak just, I mean, I was at a point of fear. Fear. And I was paralyzed in the swamp having no clue where to go. 
Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Because in Isaiah chapter 6, we find the same kind of circumstance. In Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it begins by saying this, In the year that King Uzziah died. Now that's important because it gives us the context of this encounter that Isaiah has with God. Uzziah is also known as Azariah. And in 2 Kings chapter 15, the Bible tells us a, a short summary of Azariah's reign. He reigned for 52 years. He started at the age of 16. Could you just imagine being 16 and being told, here's your scepter, time to rule? Man, that would have been, a, that would have been crazy, right? But for 52 years, King Uzziah reigned. And the Bible says that he did everything the Lord asked him to do. He was faithful to the Lord. And as a result, the nation of Israel grew. The people of God grew and, and, and they were prosperous and they had other lands and their army grew and, and things were really, really good. In other words, there was great peace because of his long-term reign. And yet, after 52 years, he died. And so the context of Isaiah 6 is this. In the year King Uzziah died, translated, the people freaked out. The people were afraid. The people were concerned. And it's exactly what you and I do every four years when we have a new election, right? It's exactly the same except for after 52 years, you kind of get used to the peace. You kind of get used to the comfort. And then all of a sudden you're saying, what's going to happen? Who's going to lead? What's going to happen to our nation? Are we going to get somebody good? Are we going to get somebody bad? And just... The people were, were wanting to start running. And it doesn't matter what direction, they were just wanting to run. By the way, on a side note here, do you know that most people, they've done studies about this, when they are lost, they start to go somewhere and they really do walk in circles. They, they, they don't usually go more than 100 meters, according to these studies, from where they were actually lost. They just start walking in circles. And the, the, the thought might be because most of us have one leg that's a little bit shorter than the other. At least that's what I read. I'm not sure if that's true, but that's what they say. But here's the thing. It was a time of great uncertainty. It was a time of fear, and it was a time when there was chaos. As a church, we are in the midst of what feels like great chaos. And my message to you today, and I believe God's message to us today, is this. In the midst of chaos, we can do one of two things, but we cannot do them both. We can do what Isaiah did and see the Lord, or we can do what so many other times the people of God did and look for ways to fix it themselves. And if we see the Lord, we need to not just see him, but we need to see him not we need to see him for who he really is, not for what we want him to be. Cuz listen, every time we excuse me, every time in the Bible where the people got a vote, they got it wrong. Every time. Every time when the people of God said, "You know what? We will collectively make a decision," they got it wrong every time. Why? Because when everybody has, has, a, has the decision-making process, it's just chaos unless they have a clear understanding of what God says. 
And so Isaiah saw the Lord, and this is what he saw. The Lord was seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Now, if you have another version like an NIV or King James, it might say this. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Right? Actually, it says seated on a throne, uh, high and exalted, train of his robe, seated in the... So the whole point of this is to give a picture of a mighty God, a God who is bigger than big, a God who truly does encapsulate all that we say, the scripture says he is. He is omnipotent, which means he has all power. Not some power, not most power, not everything but power. He has all power. He is a God who is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere at every time. There's never a time where he is not there. That's why we can never bring Jesus to any place. He is already there. He may not be known. So what we do, we don't bring him there. We simply proclaim his presence. That's what the believers do. But he's already there. He's long at work before we ever get to where we're going. He's omnipresent. He's also omniscient. That means he knows everything about everything and about everyone. He truly is a know-it-all. Now, just imagine, I saw the Lord seated on his throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the entirety of the temple. That means he was a God that was awe-inspiring. He was awesome in every possible way. And to add to that, the scripture says that there were seraphim and they, um, they, they, they were standing above him and they each had six wings. Two covered their face, two, two, face, two covered their feet, two covered um, their, um, their faces and then they, they flew with the other two and they called to one another, holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The glory, His glory fills the whole earth. Now, what is a seraphim? That literally means a fiery being. So, in my mind, I'm picturing a German shepherd on fire. That's just, that's just it. Because you have this, this fierce protector of an animal, but he's a flaming, and he, like, like, not, not like, fly, not like on fire, going to die, but fire like. Right? I mean, I can't even describe it, right? Have you ever seen a seraphim? Okay, so you know how hard it is to describe. Basically, there are these fierce beings, and the only thing that they can say is to call out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now listen, in the Old Testament, when something was not just important, but Super important, and in fact, super, super, super duper important, they would use three repetitions. Holy, holy, holy. It's kind of like when we're texting and we do all caps. Same kind of thing, right? Or it's when you type something and you do exclamation, 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 exclamation. It's the same thing. They wanted every single thing within their hearing to know that this God was awesome. In every way. 
The Bible tells us that there is no God like Jehovah. The Bible tells us that he is the author and the ruler and the owner. The Bible tells us there's, there's no one who can stand against him. The Bible tells us that his power is so great that all he has to do is speak and it, light, right, it comes into existence. What I'm saying to you is this. The people had great fear because there was great uncertainty and there was great chaos. But if you'll listen to God, here's what he will say. I am the God who speaks order in the midst of chaos. That's the God we serve. Now, as a church, we are in the midst of some chaos. But I want us to step back and gain a little perspective, okay? So if you don't know, I'm, I'm, I've, I've tendered my res uh, resignation a couple weeks ago, and we're working through the process of transition, and we've got a timeline and stuff. But, but out, of, out of what seemed like nowhere, all of this uncertainty and chaos, and, and folks, are, folks are writing a story and trying to fill in the blanks of a narrative and, and trying to, trying to all, almost in some ways think of the worst-case scenario and, and I get that, but here's what I want to say to you. We're not in desperate shape in terms of the boat does not have a gigantic hole and is sinking so fast that we're all going to die. Because here, here's what I know. I know that there is one shepherd of this church. And it is not me. There's one shepherd. It's not me. It's the one we talked about in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Right? And then you can keep the rest of it. Our shepherd is also known as our head. And he has the rightful place as the head of the church because the Bible says, all authority has been given unto me. This is Jesus talking. All authority in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. That means everything is underneath his feet. And so if our shepherd is God the Father, or is Jesus, then, then what does that make me? What does that make us? Well, it makes us his under-shepherds. And so God had a plan of how the church is supposed to function. Part of the chaos in what we're in is because we haven't been functioning on all of our cylinders. You know, the other day, um, Shannon called me. She said, Jeff, my car's about to explode. And it's shaking, and it's jerking, and I just, I'm not sure what to do. And actually, she texted me that. So I'm wondering how she's driving a jerky, shaky car and texting at the same time, but let's not go there. Of course, she was in the city. She was going, like, from the, the, the city hall to my house. So, you know, that was probably okay. And so she gets there, and, of course, I come out, and I push start. And sure enough, it's, I'm like, oh, that's the last thing I need to do is get into an engine. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Mechanics are great until you have to do it. Then it's no fun at all. So I got my code reader and I plugged it in. And guess what the problem was? Cylinder four misfire. Here's what that means. That means it's a four-cylinder. One of the cylinders was not firing correctly. It was not operating correctly. As a result, the car would run, but it would not run like it was designed to run. Because one of the cylinders wasn't doing its job. It wasn't there. And so all of the weight was on three cylinders. And even with only one out, it was still jerking and shaking. 
Fortunately, it just needed spark plugs. Ran like a top after that. But you know, God gives us the way a church is supposed to function and the purpose for which the church is supposed to function. Ephesians chapter 4. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians 4, the Bible says that he, now who is he? Oh, yeah, I guess that would be helpful, wouldn't it? Verse 11, and he himself. So this is, this is uh, Paul writing to the church in, in Ephesus, and he's saying, and Jesus himself. Now, why would Jesus himself do this? Because it's his church. Because he loves the church more than you love the church and more than I love the church. He loves the church because we are his people. We are his body. We are the fruit of his suffering. He bought us with his own blood. Said he himself gave, so what was a gift he gave to the church, some to be apostles some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. So we have a five-fold ministry within the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Now, if he gave these things to the church, he must have had a reason, right? Now, we won't have time today to go into what each of those does and how they each operate, but... It's not that one person gets one, another. Sometimes there are combinations and sometimes there are singles. But, but at the end of the day, the point is, all five of those are necessary in the church for the church to be a four-cylinder functioning church. Y'all with me here? Here is the reason, though. He said their purpose is to equip the saints for the work of ministry... To build up the body of Christ. So these five-fold, these five offices were given to the church. And by the way, they were, they were given through people. So like people have these gifts. And the people are given to the church to use the gifts so that the church can be unified. Notice it says to reach unity. What that means is this. We're not unified on our own. We're not unified without the gifts. We're not unified if we're just doing our own thing. But they're given to the church so that we can reach unity, which means we're all together because a strand of three cords, as Proverbs says, cannot be broken. When we're on our own, we can be broken. When we're together, nothing can break, right? So that we will reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. So we are to become one, to grow into one, and we're to become full of the knowledge of God's Son. But let's be careful that we understand here. It's not knowledge of the Son so we can be super smart or so we can have super cool conversations. If knowledge doesn't lead to obedience, that is becoming a Pharisee. The Pharisees were charged by Jesus... You know the law, but you don't have any idea what it says. 
You know all the letters and you even hold to the letter of the law, but you honor me with your lips and your hearts are far from me. So what God is not looking, God is not looking for us to know for the sake of knowledge. He's looking for us to know for the sake of obedience. And here's the really cool thing. God doesn't need a hundred people or a thousand people or five thousand people to change the world. He just needs twelve. And at my count, we got more than twelve in here. But you know what's going to happen? We're going to be frustrated and chaotic and, and, and all having our own agenda and all wrestling for control and for power until we stop and see the Lord for who He is, get on His agenda, and say, Lord, I want you to rule in my heart and in your church. Amen? And so here's the cool thing. He equips the saints for the work of ministry. See, we've gotten it all wrong. We have thought that we're hiring people to come and do the ministry of the church. That's not true. My job is not to do the ministry of the church. My job is to equip you to do the ministry of the church. Now, my particular giftedness is apostle evangelist. So that's why when you see me and when you hear me, that's all I seem to ever be talking about. That's because... There's a world that is lost and dying and in need of a Savior. The Bible says the world loves darkness. But the Bible says that a light has come into the darkness. And then Jesus said about us, you are the light of the world. So that's my gig. That, that's my stick. That's all I'm ever going to think about. Why? Because that that's what God made me for. But that's not all we need. We also need shepherding. Now, I don't know if you figured this out or not, but I love people, but I love the mission first. I don't know any other way to say it. That's my wiring. I've tried everything I can do to be still and pay attention to the here and now, but every single fiber of my body is thinking about the next lost person who's not yet heard the gospel and is... As uh, Dr. Moffat said, the smoke of a thousand fires in villages who have never yet heard the gospel, those have to be sought after and proclaimed to. So how does the church operate? It's got to operate with the apostle and the prophet and the evangelist, but it's also got to operate with the shepherd and the teachers. But here's the thing. All five of those don't live on this stage. Y'all hear what I'm saying here? If you're expecting all five to live on this stage, you're never gonna get it right. Let me say it differently. You're never gonna be complete. You're never gonna be mature. You're never gonna be in unity because you're asking something that is impossible to be done by any and every human on the planet. The shepherding? is done by us, not just the person on stage. The shepherding or the, the, uh, uh, the teaching is done by us, not just the person on stage. The profiting, <laughs> you know what the prophet does? The prophet's making sure that we're staying in line with God's word. That's their number one job. We just need to make sure we're staying in line with God's word. That, that's all they think about. 
You know what the apostle does? He thinks about the unreached lands, the unreached people. He's strategic. He's thinking about all of these things out there that are not yet. You know what the evangelist is thinking about? Who's lost? So apostles, more strategy. Evangelists is more, there are lost people. It is a powerful thing when a church rises up and realizes that to do the work of ministry as the church means we're throwing all of our gifts together in the pile and we're saying, let's go bust the gates of hell wide open with the only message that matters because it's the only message with the power of God for salvation to all who will believe. So we stand at a crossroads. We stand at a place where we have to choose which God we will see. Will we see the God that we want to see or will we see the God who is so far beyond our imagination that the only real response is like Isaiah, who he saw the Lord and he said to himself, woe is me. He said, God, I am, I am, I am in the wrong place. He said, God, I'm in trouble. You know, I had a conversation with, with a friend a couple weeks ago. Middle age, age of life. His life is an absolute mess. Job is a mess. He, he's in over his head. His family's a mess. Got, got marriage problems. Just everything in his life is a complete mess. And as I'm listening to my friend talk, he's telling me about how, how he basically has, has, has just controlled everything all his life. And now he's realizing that it was an illusion of control. He didn't really control anything at all. And he's lost everything and he doesn't know what to do except for cry out to God. And, and I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You realize that you've just finally gotten where God called you when he first called you. See, the call to follow Jesus is to die. If anyone wants to come after me. He must die to himself. That's what deny yourself means. Take up your cross. If it wasn't clear for the deny, the cross ought to tell you where the, where the goal is. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. So what Jesus is saying is this. Hey, you've got to fully abandon yourself if you're going to follow me. And it's not until you realize how much you screwed it all up it's not until you realize that, that I can fully transform you from the inside out. So I just want to tell you, folks, I have no illusions of being perfect. I've never thought I was perfect. I've never pretended I was perfect. In fact, I'm quite the opposite. I know every fault and failure I have even much more the older I get. I look in the mirror, and if I choose to, I can go, you failed in that, you failed in that, you failed in that, you're really terrible at that, and you're awful at that, and you're terrible at that. And so my natural self wants to say, man, I'm just a complete loser. I'm just horrible. But what God says is, did you really think you were all that good in the first place? Did you really think that without the redeeming power of the gospel in your life, you were going to be anything else but broken? Did you really think that when you looked in the mirror, you were all that? You know what God is wanting from you and from me? You know what discipleship is? A disciple is one who possesses the character and nature of God. 
Nothing less. God is not calling you to kind of look like Jesus. He's not calling you to be mostly like Jesus. He's calling you and he's calling me to be exactly like Jesus. When you look in the mirror, he wants you to see himself. That's what the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4. I lost my place here. He said... So till we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. We're measuring ourselves by the, by the perfect Son of God. So when we look in the mirror, we should see everything that He is. And folks, listen, He would not have called us to do it if it were not possible to do it. Now don't get me wrong. We're not going to be completely mature until we're in his presence, right? Because there are some things here we just we just don't even know what we don't know. But there's coming that but 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 as we as we lay down our own pride and we lay down our ego and we lay down our own 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 brokenness, we say, All right, God, I, I got nothing. Like my friend, he said, Look, I got nothing. All I've got is a prayer in God's word. And I told him, I said, That's exactly where you need to be. We all need to be there the moment we're born again. That's what lordship means. But see, there's a process of sanctification, which means God is changing us and transforming us. You know the word metamorphosis? Um, in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know what His will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to God. So that word transformed is the same word as metamorphosis. So you've got a, 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 a fuzzy worm, caterpillar. And he goes into the cocoon and does whatever you do in a cocoon. And then you bust out in this beautiful creature called a butterfly. That process is metamorphosis. It is change. You want to know our problem? We, we, we want to look like Jesus, but we want to drag our old dead self along with us. Right? Am I right? It's what we want to do. Why? Because we love the old dead self. But if we really were reasonable, we'd go, why in the world do I want a corpse to follow me on this journey? And so Isaiah saw himself for who he really is. He says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And then God responded to that humility. He responded to that brokenness, to the reality of who he was. God sent a seraphim to fly to Isaiah. And in his hand, he was, was, was holding a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. So I picture this. Again, my mind works in pictures. He goes with some tongs. He grabs the charcoal briquette out of the grill, right? <laughs> okay, now, it was an altar, and that means it was sacred and holy to God. He grabs what was sacred and holy to God, and he brings it over to Isaiah, and he touches his lips. In other words, it was God saying, I will bring order out of your chaos. I will bring peace in the midst of your brokenness. Because you have humbled yourself before me, I will lift you up into the man of God or into the woman of God that I've always created you to be and you just haven't seen it yet. 
Could you imagine a church that was unified and mature? Could you imagine a church that responded biblically to criticism or to conflict? Could you imagine a church that's boundaries were God's command of how to act and react in situations. It would be a place that would be unstoppable. And it would also be a place that the enemy would never stop trying to penetrate, infiltrate, and destroy. You know, the devil's not creative. He cannot create anything. He can only steal what belongs to someone else. He can only kill what was given birth by someone else. And he can only destroy what was made by someone else. That's all he can do. But the Bible says that God is able to keep. He's able to hold. He's able to, to contain. He's able to strengthen. He's able to support that which belongs to him. But your part and my part is yielding to it. Amen? And so Isaiah had his lips touched, and then God spoke after Isaiah was, we'll just say, made holy. And the speaking that God said was this, Whom will I send, and who will go for us? Let me, let me break that down in our terms. He was saying, who is going to do my bidding? Who is going to expand my kingdom? Who is going to tell the message that Jesus saves? That's what he was saying. Who will be my hands and feet on the earth to do my will to build my kingdom? And Isaiah could only say one thing. Here I am. Send me. Now listen. Here I am. Send me was in the context of, man, I can't get anything right. I can't lead right. I can't talk right. I can't think right. I can't sleep right. I can't relationship right. I can't do nothing right. And God says, yep, you sure can't. But because you're now broken and humble and willing, I'm going to make all things new and I'm going to speak order into the chaos or out of the chaos. You know, uh, when I was in that swamp, darkness was falling, mosquitoes were dive bombing, I was hungry, I mean, it's like three hours, I'm starving, I'm going to die, right? Thirsty, I do remember my tongue was like, like cotton, right? I, I literally lifted my hands to the heaven. I said, God, I am desperate here. I, I need you so badly right now. God, I, I, I have no idea where I am. I have no idea how to get out of here. God, I need you. Please don't let me stay in the swamp tonight. And where I was... There was, a, there was a steep hill, like a, like a kind of a, a, an, a, an embankment, because there was water. And now that I think about it, the embankment was across a slough. Your slough is, right? That's a, that's a body of water. So I was on the land, and it was across the, an area, maybe from here to the tower there. It was water, and then it was this, this embankment. It was not a direction I would have gone, but after I prayed... I just kind of felt like I needed to go that way. So I rolled up my pants. And I, you know, you got to understand, at this time, I wasn't super thrilled about snakes and gators, right? And in the Louisiana swamp, it's pretty dark, so you don't see what's underneath the surface. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about, right? 
So I'm like, I'm like wading through this stuff. And I'm going, please don't let me die of a snake bite. Please don't let me die of an alligator. I got to the edge. I started climbing up the bank. When my head came over the top, six foot in front of me was the license plate on my truck. And I just kind of sat there for a moment. I said, Lord, I hope I never forget this. When I am most lost, that's when I'm actually most found. When there's the most chaos, that's actually when there's the most order. Because when you are desperate, you finally stop trying to fix it and you let God do what only God can do. So church, you and I have to choose. We have to choose to walk patiently, faithfully, and biblically in this time of confusion and chaos and let God do what only God can do. By the way, taking that route is trusting in the character and nature of God. He is either who He says He is or He's not. How about you think of it this way? Test Him. Test Him. Say, God, I'm going to trust you fully. I'm going to trust what you say about yourself. I'm asking you to demonstrate who you are. We can do that or we can allow chaos and confusion to cause us to go faster and faster and faster just making decisions that are what we want, not necessarily what God wants. My prayer for you as a church is that you will take the slow road. Take the patient road. Those who wait upon the Lord, He will renew their strength. They will mount up as we... I don't know the rest of it, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Anybody know that? Anybody know that by heart? That can... So mount up on wings of evil, right? Run and not be weary. Walk and not faint. Either God meant it or He didn't. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I do thank you for your power. God, I thank you for your goodness. God, you alone know everything. So, Father, we will not fear. We will not falter. God, we will trust you. And Lord, just as I was surprised and shocked and amazed to see the back of my truck. Lord, I pray that you do the same thing here. Perhaps that we are in this moment so that we can take a huge step towards unity and maturity as a church. God, raise up leaders that we need. God, solidify our commitment to the body. God, help us to be your people because you still have work for us to do. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I want to invite you to do one of two things. One, if you've not ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that.
For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him will not perish, will not die, but will have everlasting life. That's God's promise. The second thing I'm going to ask you, as either a member or just an attender here, or even just a guest, I'm going to ask you to humble yourself before the Lord and begin to pray one prayer. Lord, guide us. That's the prayer. Lord, guide us. If we will pray that prayer, He will answer. Do you believe that? He will. Take a moment. As we sing, I want to invite you also to pray, and then we'll close.